praise him, church. Come on and praise him. Let's give our God a praise. If you're happy to be here on Easter morning, let's give our God a praise. Hallelujah. Oh, man, there's still people coming in. If you're online and you're close to South Baltimore, come down and join us. You don't want to miss this. Let's stay on our feet for a moment, just for a moment. I want to acknowledge um, that this week has been a phenomenal week of worship in a variety of events for Grace City Church. So let's just give our God a praise again for all the, the things he's brought to us this week. It's been, I've been in my happy place all week. It's an exhausting week for everyone. And I want to also just acknowledge all the hands that moved this church yes, from yes. indoors to outdoors today and did it in such a good way. It is no small of feat. And for the worship team, their fingers are cold as they play those instruments. So we, uh, I just want to acknowledge and all of you for being here and you're, I hope you're warm. I hope you're warm. So you may be seated in his presence. Uh, and I want you also, as you get seated before we, before Corey prays for us, uh, I'm going to read the scripture. And would you make sure that uh, at home uh, and here that you open your Bibles to John chapter 20 and just keep your Bibles open throughout the message this morning. And that will be of help to you. John chapter 20. I'm going to read some selections, but here in John 20, the Easter triumph is seen mainly through the eyes of two very different individuals. One uh, is a stubborn, analytical skeptic, if you will. It's Thomas, and Corey is going to talk about Thomas in just a few moments and his dialogue with Jesus. The other one that I'm going to look at first is she is as tearful as she is passionate, Mary Magdalene. And these are two very different temperaments. Somebody say temperament. Yet not, and there's, there's a whole lot of temperaments in this church right here, right now, so you can relate. Two different temperaments, but neither one can see the miracle in front of them at first. So now hear the, God, the word of God as I read some selections from John chapter 20 to focus us on these two individuals and the words of life that they exchange with Jesus. Now Mary, we'd start in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Words of life. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. We're in verse 24 there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put them into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, the word of the Lord. Let us pray about my Lord and my God. We thank you for the honor and privilege to be in communion together. Now, God, you are the potter. 
we are the clay. Mold us, shape us, make us, break us to what you need us to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister through our minds, speaks with our tongue, love with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let everybody say amen. Say amen. A man new to Baltimore moved in with his retriever, and he had lived in rural Pennsylvania for years, and he had uh, enjoyed throwing a stick out into the fields and watching his retriever run out and get it, Alan, and it was a great retriever. And moved to Baltimore, and they were walking along the harbor for the first time, Corey, and he, uh, he was walking with a friend he just met in Baltimore. You know what that's like when you first moved to Baltimore. Met somebody this morning already who just moved to Baltimore this week. And uh, he, he thought, he's looking out at the harbor, and he says, I'm just going to throw this stick out in the harbor. And this friend said, watch my retriever go get this. And he threw it out in the harbor, and the retriever paused at the edge of the water and looked and then ran right out on top of the water. Barely got his feet wet, went and got the stick and brought it back. And this man said to his friend, did you see that? And his friend said, oh, yes, I did. So sorry. He said, what do you mean, sorry? And he, he, he said, watch this. Watch this again. He threw that stick out in the harbor, and, and the dog didn't even hesitate this time, leaped out, ran across the top of the water, got the stick, brought it back. And he said to his friend, did you see that? And his friend said, yeah, I'm so sorry. He said, what do you mean? Why are you sorry? He said, obviously, your dog can't swim. <laughs> some people, sometimes, Corey, people just don't get it when it's right there in front of them. And church, when it comes to the miracle of Easter, John's gospel names them, names them. His account is full of eyewitnesses, people, and the conversations that they share. And John lets them tell their story so that we can hear the story of Jesus ourselves. These are the words of life for us today, the words of life exchanged with Jesus, and that's our title that we're working from today. Church, in beautiful proportion, the story of Jesus' human journey on earth begins and ends with an angel who brings astonishing news to a woman named Mary. There are profound problems with this Mary as an eyewitness, and it's not just that she's a woman, and in that day and in that culture, her words would have counted for nothing at all. But the quality of her testimony is certainly obscured by the emotions of the moment. So you have to think, perhaps John offers her testimony here simply because it's true. It really happened this way. Because if, if he were making this up, it would employ a whole lot more convincing dialogue than this does. Let's walk through the text together as you have your Bibles open at home and here at the BMI. Let's walk through the text. See how it begins in verse 1 of John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, church were right between 3 and 6 a.m., Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So as Mary Magdalene awaits, uh, waits outside the tomb by herself, she sees the, the boulder ro rolled away. She sees the stunning emptiness within. And in this text, we don't know her thoughts, Corey, but we, we know her posture. She came running, verse 2, she came running, and listen, nothing would go slowly for Mary on this day. She comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. This is interesting. This is John writing about himself. He's the only one that names himself as the one disciple whom Jesus loved, but that's cool. John can have that. And he said, they have, she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. 
we don't know are her most accurate words so far. Because she is leaping to all kinds of conclusions, and you should notice that the resurrection is not one of them. So verse, verse 3, Peter and John started for the tomb, and their little contest gets played out here. It's all very male and competitive, right? There's a lot of testosterone going on here. First to the tomb is John. First into the tomb is Peter. First to believe is John again. And then verse 10, the disciples went back to where they were staying. And then Mary again, we catch up with her in verse 11. Take a look. Perhaps Mary here is too tired, too emotionally drained to think of the next step. But what I love about her posture is that her persistence is clear here. Mary stayed outside the tomb weeping. And she saw angels amongst her tears who asked her in verse 13, the angels asked, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him, she says. And notice it's still only a corpse that she is looking for. She remains distraught over the disrespect she imagines someone has shown to Jesus' body, and she is so disturbed by her conclusions over what must have occurred that she doesn't recognize him when she sees him in verse 14. So look at verse 15. The risen Jesus asks her the same question. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? These are great questions for all of us this morning. And church, we're, so, we're often so distracted in our own trouble, our own emotions, our own environment, our own circumstances. And while Mary is blinded by sorrow and grief, she is too numb at this point to understand the full dimensions of what is happening. And then finally, look at verse 16. I love this interchange, words of life. Jesus says to her in verse 16, and I think, church, this is in the tenderest of tones. He says one word, Mary, Mary. And that one word, that one word does the trick, doesn't it? Back in chapter 10, Jesus had taught this very thing this way. He said, the good shepherd, the true shepherd, calls his sheep by name, and they know his voice. And so Mary turns to him and cries out in Aramaic, the voice of the common people in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And of course, we want her to say, son of God, risen Lord, something more than teacher we want from her. But but it's, that's what's so compelling about Mary's evidence, right? It's obviously not manufactured to prove a point. These are the words of someone who has yet to connect all the dots. She's not quite there yet. Who finds it just too difficult to believe what's right in front of her. The down-to-earth, true-to-life, authentically real Easter witness hasn't connected the dots yet. And then something happens between verse 16 and verse 17. Take a look. Mary turns to him. Mary turns to him. Somebody say turns. Turn is the thing. Turn is what we need to be doing. Mary turns to him, and either Mary has flung herself into Jesus' arms in relief or thrown her arms around Jesus' legs and feet, but either way, Jesus' next words contain for all of us this morning a cosmic tipping point, not only for Mary, certainly for Mary, but for you and me as well. Watch this in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. And it's not a brush off. Take a look at it. I suspect, by the way, that this is spoken with the very same tenderness. Mary, don't hold on to me. It's tender. Watch this. 
Mary doesn't have the analytical approach of Thomas that, that Corey's going to talk about, but her passion, Corey, has got her where she needs to be. She's clinging to Jesus, but her life and her relationship to the teacher is about to take a turn. Do not hold on to me comes because there is danger for her. This is a warning. There's a danger for her here and for us, watch this, in holding on to too little. In holding on to too little. J.B. Phillips' best book was, his, was the title. Don't even need to read the book. His best book is, here's the title, Your God is Too Small. The whole book is in the title. Right, Tim? Do you remember that book? Do not hold on to me. Listen, Mary has had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. She must have been wondering in her heart how in the world she would cope without the one who had saved her from such terror. Who will she be without the Jesus that did that for her? This is so painful for her. And actually, I suspect it's painful for many of us, even this morning, to think about letting go of a God who is suddenly bigger, grander, more cosmic than we've ever known him before. But Jesus is saying, Mary, this is about more than getting your teacher back. You need to see the new reality of who and what you're clinging to. So he cautions her about the dangers of holding on to two Little. Do you hear this in your own heart, church? For instance, she can no longer cling to a Jesus who is no longer limited by time and space. Fatigue and hunger. As all humans are, his new presence, the risen Christ's new presence, moves through doors. He appears in two places at the same time. He surpasses all the constraints of gender, race, nationality, tribalism, to become now the savior of the whole world. I'm not making that up. It's in Revelation. What does Mary's turn teach us? How do we turn in the same way? Church, we must pivot. We must turn from a Jesus who represents our own opinions only. We must turn from a a narrow definition of Christ that limits him to those who look like us and think like us and agree with us. His mission belongs to everyone. Someone say everyone. And he's saying, he's saying, Mary, there's more to come. It's going to be glorious. Don't shrink from the miracle at hand. And when it comes, Mary, our relationship is not going to just be restored to what it looked like before. It's going to be bigger. Mary, get ready because you're about to see this is by far bigger than some personal dream of yours come true. Don't find yourself holding on to too little. And Grace City, I wonder... If this Easter morning, God doesn't mean us to loosen our grip on our personal agenda for Jesus, our tendency to cling to Christ just for those things we're desperate to have from him. Some of us need to hear here this morning, do not hold on to me. And it's not because our personal life issues are unimportant to him. It's because if we could take a step back Like Mary, we might see more clearly the on-earth doors that Jesus would like to have us move into, move toward, turn toward. Listen, and and then I'll take my seat, pass this on to Corey. I don't know of anywhere else in the scriptures where Jesus speaks words of life quite like this. So look closely with me at the rest of verse 17 at home and here in the BMI. Look at the rest of verse 17. Jesus says, do not hold on to me, but here's why. Watch this. Tell Mary, tell my brothers and sisters, I am ascending, watch this, 
to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I mean, church, he could have said our father and our God, but he doesn't. He puts it this way to communicate this new, cosmic, bigger reality that his relationship with God is now our relationship with God. Are you, ready? Are you with it? Do you see it? The one who experienced God forsakenness on Good Friday now heads home to that same God and watches us. He takes us with him. The one who knows my guilt, who knows my failings, who knows my darkest thoughts, my ugliest deeds, he spells out in these words of life, piling word upon word upon word so we cannot miss the point. And with the confidence and assurance of a Jesus who turns to sinners and points to God, and he says to all of us, my father and your father, my God and your God. Oh, my God. Mary finally gets it, and we can too. Do you see her response to all that Jesus is saying to her in verse 17? Mary, who begins this encounter with nothing but tears, ends it telling the disciples these cosmic words of life, I have seen the Lord. And if you don't know him this morning, you can come to know him. And if you're holding on to too little in your journey with Christ, you can let go this morning. Let him get bigger and take you to places you have yet to imagine for his sake. Amen. Corey, come and tell us the rest of this great text. Bob told us that Mary turned, but he said, don't hold on. Bob told us that Mary was in a place and she was trying to hold on to what was too small. Tell your neighbor, don't hold on to the small stuff. Don't hold on to the small stuff. Jesus met her in the place of confusion so that he could give clarity. She was trying to hold on to what was instead grabbing hold of what is. She's holding on to Jesus' crucified state instead of grabbing hold to Jesus' resurrected state. Jesus gives word of life. He says, do not hold, hold on to me for I have ascended. Jesus tells her, do not hold on to me because I am going to glory. Somebody yell glory. Somebody yell glory. He tells her to let go and gives her an assignment to go tell my brothers that you've seen the Lord. God, give, go, go give my brothers words of life. Jesus then appears to the disciples after Mary has told them she has been with the Lord and gave them the disciples words of life. Jesus then shows up. He told, I told you this on Palm Sunday. It's not about what Jesus says. It's about what Jesus does. He shows up and he shows up to the disciples and they see his hands. They see his feet. They see him and the text says the disciples are overjoyed because they saw the Lord. Is there anybody in the room right in this moment uh, can have a picture of the Lord and have some joy this morning? Well, come on and let's celebrate him. The disciples go back and share the word of life with Thomas. And Thomas' response was that the disciples go back and he went and shared word with his people, with his disciples. But the question I had is that Thomas was not there. He goes to the disciples and Thomas is nowhere to be found. And I'm trying to figure out this morning why wasn't Thomas there? He goes to the disciples and he meets the disciples and there is no Thomas. And my question this morning and the question you need to raise this morning, where is Thomas? 
Why is it that Thomas is not there? Could it be that Thomas could not, was not there because of his temperament? Uh, we know, pe we know uh, people come to people in two categories. We have people who, are, who see the world half empty, and then we see people who see the world half full. Well, we know Thomas is more of a half-empty type of person. He's more melancholy. He is more pessimistic. It is, uh, uh, it is just the way he sees the world, Alan. Could it be that those people who, uh, he's one of those people that always sees the negative. Anybody know anybody like that? That no matter what's going on, they always see the negative. I know that I'm right because in John 11, this is how Thomas is. When Jesus wanted to return to the place in Jerusalem where the Jewish people cried and tried to kill him, Thomas in verse 16 says, uh, instead says let us go and we're going to die with them. Thomas didn't see it as an opportunity to change lives. He saw it as a moment where he was going to die with Jesus. I know there was a time when Jesus was uh, talking to uh, he was talking to his disciples, and Thomas was there, and Jesus says these words, I'm getting ready to go and prepare a place, and you know where I'm about to go. And, 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 and guess what Thomas says? I don't know where you're going. I don't have no idea where you're going. I wonder, is Thomas' problem, is his temperament? He's not, he's pessimistic. But Grace City, I don't, I don't so I'm just trying to figure out why isn't Thomas there? But maybe, maybe Paul is his temperament, or could it be that he has experienced some trauma? Grace City, I wonder whether Thomas experienced some trauma. We also know Thomas experienced trauma because we know Mary and Thomas witnessed Jesus at the cross. The word trauma actually means wounding. We know that Mary and Thomas witnessed the wounding of Jesus' body at the cross. We know that trauma is not the act, but trauma is how you respond. Mary, we found at the grave, standing there looking for Jesus, but we find Thomas, watch this, in a place of withdrawal. Withdrawal, he's away. That's a first sign of trauma. Trauma is not, Thomas is not with the disciples. Thomas doesn't show up. Could it be trauma? Could it be trauma? Could it be Thomas didn't show up because the one that he loved so greatly, the one that he put hope in, the one that he thought would be with him forever, that he watched him beaten and bruised and wounded and victimized, and it was a horrible death, and it caused trauma. Could it be that Thomas was so crushed that the withdrawal, uh, his withdrawal was about his survival mechanism? Did he not show up because trauma robbed him of his hope? Did he not show up because he was still wrapping his head around the story and it was going around his head over and over again and he had gotten stuck at the cross? Could he have been replaying it over and over again? Could it be that Thomas is protecting himself from taking the risk of being re-traumatized? I don't know why Thomas wasn't there. I don't know if it was his temperament. I don't know if it was his trauma. But even when, he, when we can't 
come to Jesus. The good news is Jesus will come to us. Jesus will still come to us in the midst of our pain. He will come to us in the midst of our trouble. He will come to us in the midst of our disappointment. He will come to us even in our trauma. He will come to us even in our fear. The text says that Jesus came, whoa, here it is, a second time. Somebody say second time. He came a second time. And watch this. The text says the door was locked, but Jesus still came in and stood amongst them. Wait a minute. Jesus came in a locked door. But Grace City, I'm so glad we serve a God that even when we try to lock him out, he will still come in a closed door. Oh, my goodness. Jesus came into the locked door. And why would Jesus come in the locked door? Because Jesus is the door. He says, whoever he is, he said, I will come in and be in your presence. But not only is he the door, he is the door opener. He will open a door that no man can shut. Anybody had any open doors in your life that your Jesus just bust the door off the hinges? See, I don't know why, what kept Thomas away. I don't know, was it his temperament? I don't know, was it his trauma? But I know that we have a Savior that came to Thomas, and he kept coming. He opened up the door. Grace City, I don't know if Thomas' temperament kept him away. I don't know if Thomas' trauma kept him away. But Jesus showed up. And when he showed up, despite of his temperament, despite of his trauma, Thomas had a touch. <laughs> oh, despite the temperament, despite the trauma, <laughs> Thomas got a touch. And I know we like to preach on this like Thomas had doubt in, in his faith, but God can handle your doubt this morning. I come to tell you this morning, our God can even handle your doubt. I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you, the Lord met Thomas at a place of his weakness without rebuke because he knew that Thomas loved him. Listen, in two ways you can touch Jesus. You can touch him with belief or you can touch him in doubt. And I don't care where you are this morning, just touch him. Just touch him. When you touch him with your doubt, you're touching him in fear. But when you touch him in your belief, you're touching him with power. You know, when you touch, you know a woman that touched him with belief. That was a very powerful moment. It was a woman who had an issue of blood. She had blood for 20, 21 years. And, and, and she said, if only I could believe. And all of a sudden, Marjorie, she touched the hem of his garment. And then it was a crowd of people there. And Jesus said, who touched me? Uh, and when Jesus said, who touched me? Peter said, all these people out here, what do you mean who touched me? He said, power just left me. Somebody touched me. Because when you touch with belief, faith, you touching Jesus by faith. But text says that Thomas touched him, but he touched him with doubt. And maybe that's you this morning. You've touched him with, you're touching him, but you're touching him with doubt. 
But Grace City, all of us need to touch him. I, I don't care if you're in a place of doubt this morning. I don't care if you're in a place of belief. My word to you this morning, just touch him. When you touch him out of doubt, you connect him with his past. But when you touch him out of belief, you can connect to the future. When you touch him with a doubt, you can touch with your pain. But when you touch him with belief, you can touch with power. When you touch him in your doubt, you can connect when he's going down. But when you touch him in belief, you can connect his getting up. When you touch him with doubt, you can only connect where he is. But when you touch him with belief, you can touch him for where he's going. When you touch him out of doubt, you can connect with his death. But when you touch him with belief, you can connect with his resurrection. When you touch him with your doubt, you can connect with his, you connect as a victim. But when you touch him by faith, you can connect with the victory. Anybody in the room have touched him and feel the victory of the Lord? Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm almost done. We're almost there. But the good news of the gospel is when you touch Jesus, you really grab hold of him. And even when you doubt, the touch will make you believe. <laughs> Y'all got it? When Thomas in his doubt, he still believed. Jesus gave Thomas a word of life. Don't just believe, Tom. Don't doubt. Just believe. And Thomas' words were, my Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. In other words, Thomas confessed Jesus as the resurrected Lord. But here it is, church. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me yet believe. I leave you with these words, and these are what's most important. He says, you are blessed. And listen to the, he said, you are blessed. He said, those who live with Jesus, who, who could see the manifest Jesus, could touch his hands and touch his nails. He says, that's special. But said, you are blessed because you don't have a manifestation of Jesus' physical body. But yet those of you who can believe without a physical manifestation, you are blessed. My God, without the physical evidence he calls them blessed, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, maybe you've never confessed this Jesus and never met this Jesus. And the scripture says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen, church, it, it's, it, he can deal with your doubt. But guess what? He says, when you can cross that path, your life is blessed. <laughs> when you can make that connection with this Jesus, the question he raised, don't doubt, just believe. Listen, you may be in pain. You may be disappointed. But hear these words. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him. Watch this. And by his stripes, ah, you are healed. Y'all never heard the story? He came from heaven to earth to show the way 
From the earth to the cross, my debts he paid. From the cross to the grave, to the grave to the sky. <laughs> That's why I lift his name on high. They hung him high. I've got to get out of here. Stretched him wide. He hung his head, bled and died. But that's not how the story ends. Early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hand. Oh, but wait a minute. The same power that conquered the grave lives in you and lives in me. He got up. <laughs> 